A Pandemic and Ontario Health Team's Symbiosis Through Stages of Grief and Appreciative Inquiry. You're listening to Insights on Longwood's Healthcare Services Radio. Coming up after the break, austerity and COVID-19. But first, Barbara Heatley O'Neill on OHTs. Health leaders were recently challenged to create Ontario Health Teams, or OHTs. In the midst of that game-changing work came the COVID-19 pandemic. Both these events have compelled our healthcare leaders to move in ways that are uncomfortable, innovative, and well outside our norms. During the creation of OHTs, experienced leaders moved through phases similar to the six stages of grieving. Denial, anger, bargaining, sadness, acceptance, and meaning. These stages first became evident when healthcare leaders were trying to bring partner organizations together for the early conversations related to the creation of an OHT. Behaviors indicative of denial, anger, and bargaining brought trust issues to light, to the extent that the Ontario Health Organization named it and brought relevant information and tools to the work. The sixth stage of grief involves finding meaning. One OHT partnership group introduced their members to the complex influencing strategy of appreciative inquiry, or AI, as a methodology to reframe and imagine their work together through a positive and synergistic lens. The aim of AI is to move towards a newly envisioned and desired goal. The process involves imagining the best possible outcome. It builds on peak performance and wastes no energy on fixing what is broken. Organizations take forward the best of what is and make it the foundation of the very best of what could be. Finding meaning through collective wisdom and a unified desire to leave broken processes behind leaves an inspired and clearer view of the journey ahead. The OHT partnership group told stories that align with their values and described an outcome that is kind, high in quality, efficient, inclusive, and equitable in a culture that feels like loving care for patients, clients, families, and all providers. Then COVID-19 happened. Across the world, healthcare workers have shown their ability to adapt, innovate, and respond. No doubt they have experienced the early stages of grief. We are assured by researchers and scientists that there are many unknowns ahead and we will likely cycle through the stages of grief again. There are no stops on a linear timeline. What began as a quest to change how care is delivered using OHT strategies brought us together in conversation. Our COVID-19 response has further shown in real time what can be achieved when we come together in action. Healthcare workers are now seen as whole, creative, and resourceful contributors in a more meaningful way. We are spoken of as heroes, and perhaps we have even gone out of our way a little through this pandemic. Everything is possible when we find meaning in the work. Let us continue to reimagine healthcare together, this time with the wisdom of lessons learned. No one can tell us that it cannot be done, because we are doing it under unimaginable circumstances. Barbara Heatley O'Neill was Chief Nursing Executive and Chief of Interprofessional Practice at Blue Water Health in Sarnia, Ontario. Now retired, she is an Appreciative Inquiry Facilitator and Certified Coactive Coach. 
She uses AI extensively in her practice. For the full text, author credentials, and references of these insights, please visit us at longwoods.com insights. And now Dr. Kwame McKenzie on austerity and COVID-19. A scientific paper published in the BMJ Open made international headlines by claiming that austerity policies led to 120,000 deaths in the UK. Death rates were falling in the years before the UK's 2010 election and then rose after the Conservative Party came to power. University College London researchers found that there were 120,000 extra deaths between the start of the new government and 2017. They concluded that these had occurred because of the Conservative Party's policies of austerity and, in particular, their significant cuts to health and social care. The paper spurred a national debate. One criticism was that the authors may have gone too far. The study demonstrated an association between death rates and a change in government, but that did not mean one thing caused the other. Further support arose for the link between austerity and death rates when a study led by another research group reported 130,000 preventable deaths in the UK between 2012 and 2017. These authors believed cuts to public health and preventative services could be implicated. The magnitude of the impact may be up for debate. The mechanism may not be clear, but many would find it difficult not to conclude that changes in medical services and social care can lead to changes in death rates. Having less access to evidence-based prevention and treatment services leads to increased mortality. Work from the Canadian Medical Association takes the discussion further. It concludes that 25% of your risk for illness is linked to access to and quality of medical care. But this is dwarfed by 60% of your risk, which is linked to social determinants of health, such as poverty, housing, income, unemployment, early childhood development, and discrimination. As austerity policies impact the social determinants of health, in addition to the provision of health and social care, it could have an impact on 85% of your risk for illness. We will see the social determinants of health play out in the COVID-19 pandemic. In the U.S., there are already early reports of race-based disparities in risk of infection and the subsequent risk of dying from COVID-19. We do not know whether this will be the same in Canada because we are not collecting the requisite data. It is reasonable to suggest that, although COVID-19 may have been brought to our shores by those who can afford to travel and anyone can get infected, those with lower incomes are likely to be more at risk now that we have community spread. Low-income people are more likely to be in service jobs where they are in regular contact with the general public, such as grocery store workers or cleaners. They are also more likely to live in circumstances where self-isolation is difficult or not possible due to overcrowding, homelessness, living in institutions, or spread or less spacious long-term care homes. And racialized people are more likely to be in low-income groups in Canada. The number of people at high-risk infection is related to government spending on social insurance and policies and the spending to ensure that there are good jobs, working conditions, housing, and social supports. Those who are at most risk of dying from COVID-19 are older people and people who have underlying medical problems. And again, the risk of having an underlying chronic medical problem is directly related to the social determinants of health. 
the rate of chronic illness in a society is linked to social policy and prevention. The shape of our pandemic curve, who is under the curve, and who dies will be linked to the current and historic government spending and policies. Ontario, the province that I live in, had the third lowest per capita spending on health in Canada in 2017. It has struggled since tax, hospital beds, social assistance, and social care were cut by an austerity-driven government in the 1990s. Governments since have not been able to return the sector to its previous levels. Hospitals have no spare capacity, and a lack of investment in housing, long-term care, and social supports exacerbates the situation. Hospitals have difficulty just discharging patients that no longer need an acute bed. A minor surge in illness in flu season each year leads to long waits for beds and patients being treated, sometimes for days, in ER hallways. If a province goes into what the UN is saying is the world's worst disaster since World War II, with insufficient hospital capacity, insufficient long-term care, and an under-resourced social support sector, the outcomes are not going to be as good as they would be if there was an existing capacity that can be used and if there is a properly functioning health and social care sector. Emergency plans may be able to produce beds and perhaps ventilators, but they do not produce quality medicine. Existing conditions cannot be remedied quickly either. For instance, it is difficult to get trained hospital staff, good quality long-term home beds, build community capacity to support people, and to improve necessary resources like homeless shelters so that physical distancing is possible. And without these in place, the emergency plan quickly flounders. Austerity policies that cut back health and social care services to the bare minimum in the name of efficiency do not allow spare capacity for emergencies. So when emergencies occur, more people die than is needed. But austerity also impacts health indirectly through social determinants of health. If over 100,000 people died in the UK during times which were more normal than these, I worry about what impact of past and current austerity measures will be on death rates during the COVID-19 pandemic in Canada. Kwame McKenzie, MD, is CEO of Wellesley Institute, Director of Health Equity at CAMH, and a professor in the Department of Psychiatry at the University of Toronto in Toronto, Ontario. Insights is produced and presented by Longwoods Publishing, providing better care through health services publishing, education, and recruitment. For more information, visit us at longwoods.com. I'm Eric Hart. Thanks for listening.